Hey guys, how's it morning or afternoon? It's nice to have you all here and uh, welcome to all those that are joining on uh, Chorus Call. Um, we're going to run through the presentation and then take Q&A afterwards. You've got uh, the full squad here today, so we've got the two Pauls, I don't know if the other Pauls here from uh, the UK and Europe as well as the South African management team, so it um, be good to, to spend some time going through questions. I think just running through, running through the results for the, for the half year, Um, we're very happy with the performance of the underlying assets uh, on both sides of the water, and I think you'll see that coming through the numbers as we work through them. South Africa, a strong momentum uh, post-COVID, and uh, Europe continues to perform really well and capture the underlying dynamics that are playing out on the continent on an earnings basis, up 2.7%, um, and we're looking to pay out 95% of that by a dividend um, in December, and the balance sheet sitting really uh, nice and healthy uh, at around about 38% LTV. And uh, Jen and the team are close to finalizing a 5.3 billion rand refinancing package or debt package over the course of the next few weeks. Um, We would have seen a few weeks ago that our debt uh, rating was reaffirmed by GCR. And we'll get on to it a little bit later, but the ESG uh, strategy is really starting to to pay dividends. um, And there's a lot of work going into that as we, we roll that out. Um, just turning to each of the, the different portfolios, South Africa, as I mentioned, really strong 8.3% like-for-like growth year, uh, year over year. Um, really, is a, it's a leasing story, uh, predominantly across industrial and retail, but let's not forget office, and we'll get into some of the, the detail later. Just seeing freezing metrics coming through, the vacancy line sitting at 7.1% that has actually trended lower over the course of the last month or so, so we're sitting at around about 5.2% today, and we've come off September last year of 9.8%. So a really strong result from the team, having leased up around 90% of the space this year. Graham told me yesterday, as a little dig to Paul from the European team, that they've, the South African business has leased more space than the European team, and they've got all the tailwinds and we've got all the, the troubles, so it has been a good result here. In Europe, 2.7% on the NOI line, and again, a, a real story around leasing, up six, almost 7% in terms of positive reversions. We've captured uh, 6% indexation. That indexation rolls throughout the year. It doesn't come through all in one go. Uh, you'll see the absence of the rental guarantee from last year, not, not sitting uh, in the numbers this year. So that's uh, heavily impacted our bottom line earnings. And the challenges that, that we flagged in Europe uh, historically have been around that corporate cost base. So there's, there's a lot of work going into that, and we think we'll see the, the fruits of that over the next 6 to 12 months. Um, and more recently, you're seeing the impact of the accelerated rate rises in, in uh, Europe. We've got a slide later on that really sets that out, but that will certainly impact our second half, given that we're although we hedge at 90%, that hedge is uh, really via a cap instrument as opposed to uh, swaps that we use here in South Africa. Um, although this is a half-year presentation, we always we do always like to touch on our strategy and some of the, the focal points of the business, uh, really underpinned by real estate, how we think about it, how we think about our clients, how we think about experience, and a lot of that, and it's taken the last two or three years in, in terms of rolling that out, is starting to come through and you're starting to see that in your numbers. And so there is a lag effect and we're very pleased with how that is, how that is taking place. Um, we've got some really uh, nice initiatives on the ground here in South Africa as well as offshore. 
and uh, we'll end off with some of the thinking around what we're going to be doing. But ultimately, everything we do is underpinned by, by the real estate in which we invest, and, uh, and that is coming through in the results. In terms of operational priorities, just to, to reiterate, I think certainly here in South Africa, speed and agility is what gets us the answers, and, and that has been a core focus for the team. And again, you're seeing that come through the numbers, especially in office, uh, up 4.2%, and the vacancy trending down. That is not sector-wide, and it's certainly not a result of what's happening in the sector. It's what's happening on the ground with the management team, as an example. We had the innovation building in Randburg go vacant around about this time last year, 15,000 square meters. I wouldn't exactly say it's the best piece of real estate that we own, and today we're fully let there. And that is not down to Randburg, as I know, that's down to how we've shown the space and how we've actively work the tenants and, and potential tenant base in order to fill that. I think in Europe, the value unlock is, is uh, clear for everyone to see, but we see opportunities in the dislocation in Europe right now. And when you've got a strong management team with track record and experience of having navigated the global financial crisis in 08 and 09, I think we're well positioned. And if we think about the balance sheet, uh, a rigid and, and uh, robust focus on, on making sure that that liability side is well maintained or well managed, and we're exploring some capital out opportunities offshore um, and, and looking to leverage the management teams that we've got uh, across the water. In terms of the financial review, and I have touched on a lot of these numbers, so I, I won't go through them in detail here, and, and we'll get some of the detail on the following slides. But you see the impact in Europe of the, uh, the absence of the rental guarantee. Nice to see if you look on the right-hand side, in terms of the European performance top line at 6.2%, and the impact of amortization and incentives that drags or, or brings that back down to 2.7. And on, on the interest line, a huge amount of work has been done on the Treasury book, <clears throat> and that's unlocked um, a surprisingly uh, good upside from a, a cost-saving perspective. So you know, we, we're in the business of managing real estate as well as managing the balance sheet for total returns to shareholders. A quick bridge that, again, just highlights or, or simplifies what this looks like and the impact of those European costs. And, and uh, on the far right-hand side of the, that box, you see the impact of the corporate costs and the interest rates. The interest rate impact in year in the first half is not as big as it will be in the second half, um, and we'll talk to that um, in, in the following slides. On the balance sheet, um, as I mentioned, really well positioned. Valuation-wise, there hasn't been a lot of movement, and we're uh, comfortable with where that's sitting, even given the volatility in Europe. The uptick in NAV is really driven by mark-to-market on the FX position, so it's not true underlying NAV growth, but certainly comfortable with where the balance sheet is positioned as we walk, walk into the, the second half of the year. Running through some of those metrics, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this slide because the, the real meat is on the slide that follows uh, relating to the refinancing. As I mentioned, the credit rating uh, being reaffirmed, really healthy metrics if, if you look at interest cover ratios, leverage, um, and where we are from a hedging perspective. And a lot of work done on refinancing uh, of, or hitting the uh, sustainability targets on the existing sustainability-linked loan. And there's, a, there's some work in the background on the bridge loan that we got into Europe, and we're hoping to see that unlocked over the course of the next uh, two, three months. We're just awaiting senior lender approval. On the refinancing, there's a lot of detail on that slide, and I'll try and pick out the key, um, the key bullets or highlights. I think uh, the total package of 5.3 billion we were putting on hold 
until we had clarity around the uh, Project Portland or the European disposal process. So it's nice to see this coming to uh, fruition. The ZAR debt package, which I think is around 3.9 billion of the 5.3, um, we're going to shift that expiry profile from one and a half years to 4.6 years. On the euro debt from 0.6 to 3.4, and on a blended basis, that takes our debt maturity profile from just over one and a half years uh, to 3.3 years after this is, uh, this is done. Net cost to the P&L will be fairly immaterial and is a significant portion of this refinancing that is uh, linked to sustainability or, or has an ESG element. So, again, tying in what we're doing uh, around sustainability initiatives to how we finance our business. also good to see that we've introduced some new lenders into this package and increased some of the exposure to lenders that came into our debt book over the last 12 to 18 months. So nice to have uh, some new faces on board. I guess this is the story around really H2. It's impacted the last quarter of our first half, and that's the European interest rates. Um, almost The graph almost doesn't put into context what has happened there, but really moving 200 basis points over the course of the last four months. I don't think anyone saw that rate of change, um, and, and certainly the size of that change on, on a combined basis. So it's certainly the biggest story of the year, and we all know inflation, Ukraine, and the impacts that that has had. And I think um, although the balance sheet is well positioned, we've, we've managed the Treasury book accordingly, there is leakage that will come through as a result of those accelerated changes in Europe. Moving on to South Africa, and I'll skip over this slide because there's detail, a lot of detail on the next, which I think uh, we, we can talk through. Um, you'll see on the base NOI lines, office up 4.2%, really a story of, of reducing vacancy. So we're sitting at 10.3 today, or actually at 8.9 today, we're 10.3 at September. We're coming off 13.9% this time last year. So it really is a leasing story, very similar in industrial I roll back the clock in March 21, we were sitting at 17% in the industrial book. Um, at September last year, 10.5, and, and today that's sitting at 6.9. So a really great result from, from the team and being able to move our space um, really quickly. And then in retail, the business that just keeps on giving, and we've always said it's a very defensive portfolio. If you look at the, um, the metrics or the trading metrics that come out of there, um, trading densities are, are sitting around 2,100 meter. That's up about 5 to 7% year over year. Turnover growth, 7.7. And cost of occupation sitting at 6.7%. So all of those metrics have improved. They're all sitting at a very comfortable level. And, and so we're comfortable with where the, the income line on the retail side is going to move to. If you look at arrears, also a big shift year over year. So a significant amount of work done in managing the tenant base and, and the cash collection. And so all credit to the team including the JHI team that I know is heavily involved in making that happen. Just to summarize or look at the leasing activity, um, I think one key point here is just looking into the second half where we've already dealt with uh, almost two-thirds of the space that comes back at us in, uh, in, that, uh, in H2. Reversions are still high, the 17%, negative, negative 17%. That is a result of a lot of longer-dated leases rolling off. But in the absence of real market growth, even newer leases um, effectively escalate at, at a rate much higher than the market, and, and so you're still seeing negative reversions even on leases that were struck or, or restruck three or four years ago. So, so it really is about bums on seats. 
and making sure that we, we, uh, we don't lose tenants. A core focus for us, you would have seen this matrix. Um, I don't know who, who came up with it, but um, really the, the idea of moving every, trying to move everything to the top right-hand quadrant, would have, we would have liked to put more lines in here, but you see everything moving in the right direction. So bottom right-hand side where you don't want to see anything, we've, seen, we've managed to move around 700 million from there, um, either straight up to the ideal state or we've exited or we, we've moved it into a, a better position. But really um, taking about 2 billion from the top left into the top right and, uh, and from the bottom left into the top right. So a really good story in terms of how we're managing the risk profile of our assets, which is important and, and really moving everything from a, a value add into a core, in, into a core state over time and, and anything that we see as being non-core tail, we're very focused on moving that out. And you'll see that come through in two or three slides time. Office, I mean, it's been the story over the last three years. Um, really focused leasing and activity. And I think where we are positioned today from a portfolio perspective puts us in good stead. Bryanston, where we've got relatively big exposure. I don't think we have any vacancy. If we do, it's a couple hundred square meters. And we've seen a really nice uptick in Rosebank. At the first, where we had uh, probably this time or two years ago, we were sitting with about five or 6,000 square meters of vacancy. Today, we're sitting at 1,500, maybe 1,000 meters next week if Dennis decides to do his job. And, uh, but it, it, the business is, or the portfolio is really well positioned. Um, very little limited exposure in real terms to Santon, where we've seen little or no demand over the course of the last two years. The capital recycling, we've been banging this drum for years. Um, and really have been focused on it. Effectively, we've got around about 450 million sitting in the held for sale um, as we stand today. 325 of, of that has already been signed and is just awaiting transfer. And 120 million is currently being marketed. And then we've, we closed off at the beginning of this year around 300 million of assets that were held for sale last year and, and, and concluded in the first half of this year. And that's gone towards uh, either paying down or, or reducing our leverage or, or recycling that into some of the the capital projects that we've been rolling out. Europe, as I mentioned earlier, around interest rates, but it's also about inflation, and it has, a, it has both a positive and a negative impact. I think everyone is focused on the potential negative impacts of what's playing out macro, on a macro basis in Europe, but certainly we haven't seen the impacts on it from a negative perspective on the portfolio. So demand remains high across the continent. Supply has become even further constrained. Development costs have gone up uh, 20 to 30 percent, and the cost of financing for a developer has blown out. So your, the development returns are, are uh, almost you know, not feasible anymore. That's put further uh, pressure on the supply side. And with the demand side holding up, um, we've really benefited nicely. I guess the question is going to be what plays out on the occupier base for how long can they absorb the inflation, the energy prices. Um, if we look at our portfolio, the first... The first warning sign would be in the arrears number. We haven't seen any of that. There have certainly been some, some tenants that have seen volumes falling off a little bit. And that was to be expected. Um, but it gives them the ability to right-size their business. I think the opportunity for us is playing in the disconnect, utilizing or um, leveraging the management on the ground, um, looking at the opportunities of which we've seen more probably over the last two to three months than over the last few years, given where pricing has moved. And that's the impact that interest rates have had with some of the financial buyers effectively sitting out of the market. That gives us the opportunity to go and play 
much like we have done historically in South Africa and in Australia. From a return or, or uh, numbers perspective, I've, I've covered a lot of the ground here, but really um, the portfolio could not be better positioned as you walk in or move into the second half and we walk uh, or try and navigate the volatility and uncertainty that, that may arise over the next 6 to 12 months on the ground there. Um, vacancy sitting at 1.2%. We actually expect that to trend lower, um, which I didn't think was possible. And the portfolio metrics very, very healthy, whale of north of five years, but enough um, leasing activity over the course of the next 12 to 24 months that enables us to capture potential rental growth and support um, valuations from a balance sheet perspective. On the leasing side, again, I've, I've covered all of this, but it's important to just point out the whale on all the new leases at seven years. And although the retention ratio at 42% might seem low, uh, we've, through the asset management and, uh, and kind of moving in of tenants, we've been able to capture that, um, that alpha from a leasing or, or uh, re- um, reversion perspective. And, uh, you know, I was saying to Paul earlier today, the ability to move your tenant base um, and accommodate new, bigger, or more profitable tenants is something that we work on consistently um, and we look to achieve further um, performance similar to this as you, as you move into age two. I've walked through the P&L um, of Europe earlier, and I think just on the, the cost side, which you'll see is up 33%, which is a big number, um, roughly a quarter of that sits in um, the operating costs linked to the asset management fee, which is linked to the, the gross asset value, which year over year was, is up kind of 10%. And the rest is the corporate structure, which I alluded to earlier, being complex um, and is a, a big work stream being undertaken at the moment to refine that and stabilize that over the next 6 to 12 months. The development pipeline, which we put on hold as we went into the sale process, we've um, opened up again, looking at it, as I mentioned earlier, massive cost inflation. So across our feasibilities, we've seen aggregate costs up 20%. There's been movement on the leasing or the, the revenue side, which would still enable us to come or deliver those projects at an initial yield of around 7%. Um, and the key for us is, is finalizing a financing or development financing facility in Europe, which at the moment, just given the state of the banking markets, is challenging. And I think we'd look to um, attack that in Q1, or our Q4, but Q1 calendar year uh, next year. From an ESG perspective, I alluded to it earlier, we've seen a lot of work done and, and linking that to our refinancing package, um, but all on track in terms of Green Star ratings, um, the solar PV, we're actually going to deliver more. We're going to come in at around three, 3.2 megawatts um, over the course of this year as opposed to the target of two um, energy performance certificates and uh, carbon footprint is all rolled out. And, and I think you know, when we sit here in, in what well, will be May, we'll have more to talk to on, on, on those targets. Looking ahead and, and really wrapping up, I guess the, the first is just to, to talk through the revised guidance. So you would have seen in the SENS announcement this morning that we pulled that back. That really is purely down to the interest rates in Europe and the impact that that has going into the second half. I mentioned earlier a, a small portion of uh, that acceleration has been, has impacted our first half, but the majority will come through um, on the back end, again, the cap that we have in Europe is at 1.4%, and that will flow through. And that's taken our earnings guidance effectively from that low single-digit DPS or, or dips to, to marginally negative. Um, it's an unfortunate uh, result, but, but that is what it is. And, and thankfully, 
the performance of the asset base on both sides of the water continues to trend in the right direction. So that's where, where we're going to really leave it off. I guess South Africa, well positioned. Um, again, the portfolio across the board, across three sectors, for the first time we're seeing real stability and the strength of that portfolio coming through. Um, good leasing activity and good momentum as we move into Christmas. In Europe, the, the performance continues to be bolstered by the supply and demand dynamics. We are, I guess we've, we've got to consider and be open to uh, what may or may not happen in the occupier base in relation to inflation and energy costs. doesn't help when uh, there's a rocket fired into Poland uh, last night. But the balance sheet is in, in probably you know, one of the best positions it's been. Uh, post this refinancing, much better position or stronger than we were six months ago. And that gives us the opportunity to explore some of the growth opportunities both here and offshore. And if we look um, overseas, we're exploring some capital light opportunities together with uh, the European management team as well as some others. And we're seeking to capitalize on some pricing dislocation in Europe. It all comes down to capital and availability of capital. So we'll continue recycling very aggressively on both sides of the water as well as seeking capital to come and sit alongside us in the strategies that we have on the ground. So that is it. I think I've probably got through that in record time, Sammy. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it really leaves us some time to go through um, Q&A. So we'll go first, I think, to Chorus Call. Is there any questions coming in from the call? At this stage, there are no questions, sir. Okay, so we'll go on the, um, some, of the, some of the questions coming through digitally. At the moment, there's just one. So, Daryl, maybe you should ask another one. But um, from Ridwine at Nedbank, um, the question is, please can you expand on the dislocation you're seeing in Europe regarding opportunities? Is it country-specific or, uh, or as a whole? I mean, maybe Paul, I don't, don't know if you are mic'd up, but it's probably good to hear from you around what, what you're seeing. We've got, a, we've got a mic coming. Hello, can you hear me? Hi. Um, hi, yep, my name is Paul Roger. I am the Managing Director of the European Business. Um, in terms of dislocation in the, the market, I mean, it's still fairly early days at the moment um, to see any real distress or, or, or um, fractures coming through. But what you can see is that there are people who have, uh, let's say, over-levered and exposed themselves to that rising interest rate um, uh, exposure and and I think there will undoubtedly be situations where the management teams are not reaction, reacting to their tenant base as as perhaps dynamically or as fast as they should. So um, we are expected to see opportunities present themselves over the course of the next six, twelve months. I think from our, our perspective we've spent quite a lot of time in uh, the continent really working with tenants over the past well, four years since, since the original acquisitions of the portfolio in uh, working through the income streams, making sure we've got the most robust <coughs> tenant, tenant base, bank guarantees, securities in place so that we are in as uh, secure a form as we can going into any, any repricing or, or downturn in the market. And certainly, as Andrew said, I mean, as of today, we're not seeing any movement in our tenant um, uh, just, you know, there's no tenant stress coming through, and in fact, quite the opposite. We're still seeing a real push for demand uh, and, and, and additional take-up of, of supply, hence the reason that our portfolio is now sitting at 99% occupied. Thanks, Paul. Keep the mic, because there's a question that's come through from Miego. 
Can you provide some color on valuations in the subsectors in both South Africa and Europe, specifically in relation to cap rates? And before I hand it back to you, we were chatting about it earlier, and, and where you're seeing the stresses in Europe, specifically around valuation, is on those portfolios or those assets that have a much longer dated lease expiry, because of uh, really the inability to get at that uh, that positive rental number. Um, and given the impact of rising interest rates, the longer dated stock is, is getting harder hit, but maybe you want to give some more colour, Paul. Yeah, look, I mean, I think two things are, are quite important there. I mean, one is we were never buying the stock that was in the, in the low fours and, the, and, and, and indeed the threes across the regions. Um, we just we pulled back from the fundamentals of those types of acquisitions. So the, the long-dated Amazons, the, the Zalandos, the, the Ocado-type units is not what we've been buying. Um, and as Andrew alludes to it's, it's albeit stabilised rental income streams, it's shorter income streams than that, and that gives us the ability to capture the rental growth position. So whilst, whilst it's no secret that, that yields are moving out and there is a, re, a repricing giving the interest rate movement, I think the, 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 the value position is being supported by the rental growth story, and we're very much uh, capitalising on that at the moment, A, from a a CPI indexation perspective where it's coming through on an annual basis but also when the leases burn off we, we can get into direct negotiations with those tenants and try to mark to market those rent levels. I mean I think the other point in Europe is if you, a lot of the commentary is around cap rates moving kind of 100 basis points over the course of the last three months, three, four months and it's just important to keep in mind that's coming off the highs so the the if you look in the listed sector, you know, the likes of Prologis and Segro trading at 50-60% premiums to book and coming off of those levels as opposed to off of what were typically book, um, book values, you know, whether it was listed or unlisted. Um, and so when we look at our portfolio, and we're actually going through a process uh, into 31 December with CBRE. Always get it wrong. But um, with CBRE around our portfolio, and, and it's yeah the starting point in terms of trying to back solve to what's happening with cap rates isn't book. It was uh, premiums premiums to book. Graham, do you want to give some, some colour in South Africa? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think looking at, um, at our South African portfolio over the last two years, we've, we have taken approximately about a, a 2 billion rand write down um, within that portfolio. So we're very comfortable with the levels that we're at. Uh, we didn't um, run a, a full external reval process now at half year. Um, as you recall, um, we, we externally valued half our portfolio at March um, and, and uh, previously the, the other half in that year. We spent a lot of time discussing with the external values whether they've seen any move in cap rates. Um, their view is it hasn't shifted uh, regardless of the interest rate shifts we've seen. I think we echo that sentiment. Um, and look, we're very comfortable with the levels we're at uh, in our South African portfolio currently now, as I said, we, we have taken a lot of that pain, and, and we think that is largely out of the system. Yeah, I think in, if I look at the impairments on the South African portfolio over the last couple of years, we've taken, what, north of two, two and a half billion of impairments going back to pre-COVID. So, yeah, the, the, the portfolio is well positioned. I think the other, other point, if you contrast what happens in, uh, across the water versus here in terms of rate of change in valuation and cap rate linked to interest rates, certainly more more volatility in Europe uh, relative to South Africa, which is quite interesting to see. Um, I don't see. Are there any other questions on chorus? Nothing coming through on the floor. Mesho. 
Normally you're the first, eh? So you must have been thinking about this one. Hold on, Sarah. Okay. Um, do you have a catalyst that you're sort of waiting for or looking forward to open up the um, potential sale of the Pell business? Yeah, I, you know, when, when we looked at it towards the back end of last year, it was, it was hugely opportunistic. Right, we've, we've always said we're a long-term holder of, of majority positions, and, and that was one of them. But where, we, where the market was pricing portfolios relative to where we thought long-term returns could get to, I just think you know, we, all, we all kind of looked at what was going on and thought there was a great opportunity to, to deliver outperformance through an exit as opposed to a long-term hold. Where markets have moved to today based on really interest rates as opposed to the underlying, I don't think that opportunity exists. Um, in a lot of ways, I mean, we're very, I'm quite happy that we still got that business. And, and you see the, the benefit of having a, a, both a diversified business as well as a geographically diversified, diversified business. Um, I think the, the focus for us now moves back into um, opportunities there growing the asset base, looking at that development uh, portfolio and, and really thinking about some of those capital light opportunities that might become capital more capital intensive over time, depending on then what happens in our availability of capital here. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can't see us looking at that um, again unless markets move substantially, um, which in the absence of... Uh, a pullback of interest rates I can't see happening. And, and our view is that interest rates don't go back to negative, right? They, uh, they kind of stabilize. Maybe they don't sit where they are today, but they certainly maybe sit between where they are today and where they were six months ago. Okay, and then just on the, on the SA portfolio, you guys have done about 8% like for like for the first half. Second half, I think there's less upside from vacancies um, reducing. So do you have a you know, ballpark or range for what do you think the second half? Um, yeah, I, I don't. I think the, we've got a couple of, we, we've had some good leasing activity. We've worked the, the asset base. Uh, you're not, I don't think we're going to be far off those kinds of numbers. Maybe a little bit tempered, but not, not significantly in terms of base NOI. I think um, we, we're also starting to see you know, the design quarter asset is, is almost fully complete. We've seen some decent leasing there that comes through, starts to come through in the second half, although not entirely. Um, and then, yeah, some of the benefit of, of working with the tenant base, incentives, arrears collection comes through in H2 as opposed to H1. So, yeah, I think um, we're still expecting a, a similar number, maybe a little bit, little bit off that, but not, not materially. Any other, Ev? Just uh, the expenses on the proposal. What's, what's the actual number of expenses incurred? And over and above that, are they in your distribution going forward or the current distribution? So the, the majority of any cost linked to that sale would have been on success. So that's not, uh, that's not triggered. Um, and we've got on the vendor due diligence side, so tax advice and that kind of thing, or, or, or the DD cost, that is absorbed by the business and, and effectively capitalized for the time being. But we've got access to that uh, over the short term in terms of um, being able to, to utilize that to bring in third-party capital. Okay. 
And just another one on listing. I remember, you know, being convinced into an external manco because of the depth and property skills in Investec. And obviously, as the Sams moved on to Letitia, and now Daryl's moves, you know, I want to know how you're going to fill that gap and, you know, who's next in line? Because we, as, as an investment community, we haven't seen the, the successor. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a relevant question. I think the, um, if you look in, in Europe at the depth of the bench there, you know, Paul and the team, and, and I know some of you are coming on tour with us next week, so hopefully you get access to that. I think, you know, Daryl, um, Daryl was building and had built a, a strong bench here in South Africa. You see Graham here, too, so Graham looks after our South African business, uh, from an asset management perspective. Sam and the board is still heavily involved in the key decisions of, of that. Um, so yeah, you know, the, the broader property skill set still sits with us, as well as with the investic property business on, with David, Gavin and the development side. So the crossover and, and how we leverage each other, um, is still very much, very much alive. But is that a still an MTC to fill externally or are you happy with the status quo? I think we've got, we've got a couple of ideas around the local asset management space. I think, uh, probably most importantly in retail. Um, industrial is the smallest side of our business and has performed, we, I think we have performed really well. We've got the right skill sets. <clears throat> and in office, like I said earlier, I said to someone, one of the journalists, it's a grind. And if you look at the, the skill sets or the results that have come out of there um, and the traction that we've had over the last two to three years, it's, it's very much within the DNA. So I think the key focus is, on, uh, is really to fill a retail, the retail space. Anything else? Um, all right, so pretty much brings it to a conclusion. I think uh, the one thing I just wanted to, to close off on was to welcome some of the new non-execs that have joined the board, Rex and uh, Decebo, who joined today. Um, and Rex, who's been with us for a few months, Decebo has replaced Connie, um, and Connie had been with us for 10 years. So a massive thank you to Connie and a, and a big welcome to Rex and Decebo. And then to see Daryl sitting there today, and I feel a bit, it's like awkward not having you next to me. And um, uh, <laughs> I'm just glad that you're not sending me messages telling me what to say and what not to say. But um, yeah, I think it's a, from my, from my side, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to Daryl. Because he's been uh, not just, I was trying to think of the different metaphors, but certainly hasn't just been a, a wingman, but has been um, sound counsel for me over time. And I hope that that continues. Um, he's going to be continuing to work with us and the team um, on a contractual basis. Um, hopefully, we don't have to ever look back at the contract. Um, but we also wish Daryl well in his new endeavours. In, in uh, I see he's, he's really gone into the branding world and uh, and has, has launched his new business. And so we yeah, we hope that we continue to remain close together. I know that we're going to do a lot together over time, but it's uh, a yeah, massive thank you and uh, for what you did here, not just at IPF for the three or four years, but also at Investec for the better part of 20. So we will we will certainly miss you, but we know that you're going to be around a lot. So thank you. Um, right, so we always, Investec is always known as a, effectively a catering company with a, a banking license. So I know the guys have put on a good spread outside. It'd be good to have a, have a drink and, and a, something to eat with you and, and, and uh, chat further after. So thank you for coming. <laughs>